Welcome to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology. Many of our podcasts are accompanied by downloadable study guides and additional resources. You can access those either through our website at gsot.edu forward slash center or through the Grace app for your smartphone. And now, Saving Grace. Well, hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. The last days, the end of time. It seems there's so much talk about what our future holds for us, but what did Christ say about the end times? What can we glean from the scriptures that will help us prepare for the days that are surely coming? Well, our guest today has written several books on the subject, and over the next couple of podcasts, we're going to look at some highlights from his newest book, Jesus and the End Times. We're so pleased to have with us Dr. Ron Rhodes. He's president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry. Dr. Rhodes earned both his master's and doctorate degrees in systematic theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, where he periodically teaches. He is heard regularly on radio programs nationwide. The author of over 60 books, Dr. Rhodes is sought out as an expert on cult apologetics and end times prophecy. Ron, welcome to Saving Grace. We're so glad to have you with us. Well, thank you, Carmen. It's always a pleasure. Well, you know, the study of eschatology is a fascinating subject for my husband and me. We we read everything that we can get on the subject, and and I know that it's a difficult uh, topic for, for many to grasp, and so sometimes they will just sort of put it aside as, well, it's not important right now. Why is a study of the end times important right now? Well, first let me say that I think people are scared away because we use all kinds of Christianese words mm. in prophecy. You know, words like pre-trib and post-trib and mid-trib and amillennial and post-millennial and pre-millennial. I mean, it's enough to get anybody confused. Yes. But, uh, you know, the thing of it is, is that over one-fourth of the Bible is prophecy. And one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament deals with the second coming. Now, that's a lot. It is. And whenever you have a situation where one-fourth of the Bible is prophecy, I mean, that's not something that you want to ignore. Mm. And what I like to do is to remove all the Christianese and just focus in on what the Scriptures teach. You know, before my commitment to any system of theology, I am first and foremost a Biblicist. I go to the Bible to find out what the Bible teaches. And the thing that's always guided me, Carmen, is this. When the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up in nonsense. Oh, I like that. And, you know, I've always followed that rule, and by following that rule, I've just gotten very excited about Bible prophecy, and I'm convinced that anybody can understand it. Mm. Well, that's encouraging as we get started here. You know, Christ was really critical of the Pharisees and Sadducees because they couldn't discern the times. So what signs was it that they missed in their day, and how can we make sure that we are accurate observers in our day? Well, that's a good question because, uh, you know, Jesus spoke to them, and they should have recognized that Jesus was the Messiah because of all the signs predicted of the Messiah. In the Old Testament. For example, when you look at Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 35 and other verses in the Old Testament, 
those verses taught that when the Messiah came, the, the blind would see, the deaf would hear, the lame would walk, people would experience healing and deliverance from demonic spirits. And guess what? Hmm. When Jesus came on the scene, all those things happened. And so they should have understood the signs of the times and understood that Jesus was, in fact, the divine Messiah. But they missed it. Yes. Now, Carmen, keep in mind that these guys were the experts in the Old Testament. Right. If anybody should have got it, they should have got it. Mm. But they missed it, and I think we learn a lesson there. We should make sure that we are not like those ancient Jewish leaders. We should be accurate observers of the times. Now, of course, I think we need to be careful, Carmen, because I'm not an advocate of what they call newspaper exegesis. That's the idea that you have a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other hand, and you're trying to force meetings into you know prophetic scripture. Oh, yes. We, we see a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. And there's actually been some books written that follow that method. But what I do think that scripture calls us to do and what I think Jesus calls us to do is to, number one, learn Bible prophecy, and then number two, Watch the current scenes to see if there are legitimate correlations between what we're seeing in the world and what the signs of the times are. Mm. And so that's one of the necessities of of learning Bible prophecy. You can't recognize that prophecy is being fulfilled unless you first understand Bible prophecy. And I don't know about you, Carmen, but it's had such a big impact in my life. Did you know I became a Christian because of Bible prophecy? Oh, no, I didn't. That's fascinating. (laughs) How did that happen? I I was actually uh, working on on a Hollywood career with some of my brothers and sisters, and we were doing all these big TV shows out in Hollywood, like The Tonight Show and The Merv Griffin Show and The Mike Douglas Show and American Bandstand and all of those shows. (laughs) And all of a sudden, we were working with uh, Pat and his family, and they were into Bible prophecy, and um, they were studying all the stuff about the Second Coming and the Rapture, which I had never heard of. Long story short, I did a study of Bible prophecy, and I read a whole lot of books. I ended up becoming a believer, dumping Hollywood, going to Dallas Theological Seminary, and I've been involved in ministry ever since. So when I'm talking about Bible prophecy, it's something that's very near and dear to my heart because it directly led to my becoming a believer in the first place. Mm, I love I love that. And, and, and also the fact that you recognize the urgency of others to come to know the Lord, uh, because there's a lot of bad stuff that's, that's ahead for those who don't believe. And, uh, and I, I'm, uh, I, can, I can appreciate your passion now for, for this topic. Well, you know, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. Now, it's my understanding that Paul is referring to a generation of Christians that will not die a physical death, the, the doctrine that we call the rapture. Uh, what did Christ have to say about this promise? Tell us what that is and why that's something that, as believers, we should be encouraged by. Well, I, I think that if you believe in the Bible, you have to believe in the rapture. It really comes down to that, because Scripture is not only in clear in First Corinthians 15, but also the Apostle Paul spoke of it in First Thessalonians 4, 13 mm-hmm. through 18. And Jesus himself spoke about it in John 14, verses 1 to 3. 
And Jesus gives us this amazing prophecy. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Mm. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Mm. Mm. So the idea that Jesus is going to come and get us, or like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, Christ is going to snatch us right off the earth and take, it, take us right back to heaven. That's what we mean when we say rapture. And, uh, you know, the thing with it is, is it is considered a blessed hope that is imminent. And what I mean by that, Carmen, is there's no prophecy that has to be fulfilled before the rapture happens. Mm -hmm. It could happen today. It could happen next week. It could happen in 2020 or 21. We don't know precisely when. Right. But I think that God designed it that way on purpose because that means we've always got to be ready. Yes, yes. No doubt about it. No doubt. You know, I love the fact that uh, Christ used the bride-bridegroom metaphor uh, to really talk about the plan uh, to return for the church. And that would have been very familiar to the Jews of their of that day because it parallels a Hebrew wedding. Wondering if you would talk, uh, walk us through that parallel, if you will. Well, certainly. This is one of my favorite uh, parallels, too. And uh, the way that the, uh, the weddings and the betrothals worked back then is that generally it was the father who would set things up. Um, the marriage was legally consummated by the parents of the bride and the groom. And that's a lot different than today. Mm-hmm. Yes. Back in Bible times, mom and dad were always involved. And after mom and dad set things up with the bride and the groom, The groom then went off to prepare a place for them to live in his own father's house. And typically, the groom would simply build another wing on to the already existing house of the father. And then, at an undetermined time, the bridegroom would come to claim his bride. And immediately after that, there would be a marriage supper. Well, you know what? It's just like that in terms of the rapture. You see, in the present age, you and I and many other people become Christians under the Father's loving hand. God is our divine Papa, and he's setting things up for us to actually come into his family. But then the bridegroom, Jesus, goes to prepare a place for us in the Father's house. And at an undetermined time, Jesus the groom comes to claim the bride, which is the church, and then he takes the church back to the room that he has prepared, And then sometime after that, there will be what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's when Christ and the the, the bride, which is the church, will celebrate. And so the parallels are just amazing. Mm, And here's a key application, if I might share it with you, Carmen. Please. Back in uh, Bible times, after there was a uh, a betrothal and the, the groom went off to build the house, it was the bride's responsibility to remain pure mm. and shaped. Yes. And that's what God wants of us today. Wow. We're waiting for the rapture, and as we wait for the rapture, you and I as the bride of Christ must choose to live righteously. Mm. I love that. That's it's such a, a beautiful, beautiful parallel, and uh, and one that really should motivate us. My goodness, when we consider all that God has done for us, all that Jesus Christ has done on the cross, dying for our sin, uh, it it is that you know a, a living sacrifice. We should desire that. It's the least we can do for Him, right? 
So uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. It is a beautiful picture. And, uh, you know, very often in the New Testament, when you find a Bible prophecy, right next to the prophecy is an exhortation to living righteously. Hmm. And so God didn't give us prophecy just so we would have an intellectual knowledge of the future. Yes. But rather, he gave us prophecy to make a change in the way that we live our lives. Mm. And so that's one of those unrecognized things that a lot of Christians are unaware of. And people ask me, well, why should I study prophecy? Well, one reason you should study prophecy is that it will motivate you to live the way that God wants you to live. Yes. And yes. so, you know, that's, that's probably one of the most powerful applications that we have today. And even aside from that, Bible prophecy has that evangelistic and apologetics element, like it did with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there are people who won't become a Christian for any other reason than they get excited about the idea that Christ will come again. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, I had been going to church all my life, but I wasn't really a Christian. And then all of a sudden I heard all this about the, the second coming and the rapture and the tribulation. That's really what got me serious about the Lord. Oh, Wow, I love it. Well, you know, it's really an incredible thought when you consider that the creator of the universe (laughs) is now preparing a home for believers in our Father's house. Uh, Talk about some of the things that we can learn from Scripture about about that home that he's making for us. Well, it's called the New Jerusalem, and you might remember that Jesus told his followers in John 14, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And that place that he's preparing for us is called the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. And I believe that it's a literal city. You and I are going to have literal, resurrected, physical bodies. And in those physical bodies, we will live in a physical city called the New Jerusalem. Mm, And the Bible describes it as being made of all kinds of wonderful gems and gold and streets of gold that are as clear as glass and you know, all kinds of precious stones throughout the city and the glory of God lights up the city. Mm-hmm. And so we don't really need the sun anymore because the glory of God lights up the city. It will be immense, somewhere between 1,400 and 1,500 miles in dimension. And it's going to rest upon the new earth. And that's going to be a huge, huge city. Yes. Plenty enough, plenty big enough to house all the redeemed of all the ages. We're going to have the, uh, the the tree of life and the river of life there in the city. And you might remember that back in Genesis, the tree of life was actually barred from Adam and Eve because they sinned. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it's going to be restored again in the New Jerusalem. And we'll be able to eat from the tree, tree of life every month. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a wonderful place to live. But more important than the actual place itself is who's going to be there. Oh, yes. You know, because it's not just you and me and all of our Christian loved ones, but we're going to be face-to-face with Christ. And not only that, but you get to meet all of these cool people from church history, like, you know, John Calvin and Martin Luther and, you know, all all these other really famous people that we've read about through the ages. Mm -hmm. We'll get to speak with Billy Graham, you know, if you're um, a listener and a follower of him. Uh, Anybody who's a believer from... Any time in history, you'll be able to spend some personal time with. Now, you know me, Carmen. I'm always very inquisitive. So I'm going to be in line with the Apostle Paul to ask him what he meant in certain verses. You know, <laughs> in Romans and 
Yes. But yes. It's, it's going to be just an off, off, awesome thing, and we're going to have perfect resurrection bodies, bodies mm. that don't get sick or grow old or die. Yes. No more yes. cholesterol buildup. up. No more hairs falling out of your head. <laughs> and you know what, Carmen? You can still eat food. Mm. Yes. That, that's yes. a pretty amazing thing because it Jesus ate food four times in his resurrection body. Mm-hmm. And scripture says that our resurrection body will be just like his. So much, so much to look forward to. It's a beautiful thought. And the thought of being raptured out, taken out, uh, is a tremendous encouragement for us uh, because it's also sobering to remember that there are many who do not believe, and they're going to face seven years of intense oppression, affliction, persecution, Help us to understand biblical tribulation and why it's going to be different from what we might call tribulation today. Well, there's a difference between the tribulation that all of us suffer as Christians and the tribulation period. Now, every one of us goes through tribulation. I mean, we all get sick with different diseases and we all grow old. I mean, just look in the mirror in the bathroom. You know, uh, if the yes. bathroom has those fluorescent lights, it's even better because you get to <laughs> see all the, all the stuff that you don't like other people to see about your body. But we're growing older. And Scripture says that uh, as we grow older, um, you know, we start to take more seriously the fact that this life is a mortal life, and it makes us look more forward to what lies beyond mortal life, which is life in heaven. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the benefits of general tribulation for all Christians. But as opposed to that, Scripture also teaches that there's going to be a seven-year definite period of tribulation which the church will be exempt from. In other words, you and I won't be there, but the rest of the world will be. And it's going to be a terrible time characterized by the wrath of God and judgment and trial and trouble and destruction. It will be worldwide, global. Um, the tribulation will come not only from God's judgments, but Satan is going to be active through the Antichrist. But you know what? God is always in control, and God has a purpose for the tribulation period. And among those are the following. For one thing, God will finally bring judgment against the Christ-rejecting nations of the world, but he's also purging the people of Israel for Israel's restoration. See, Scripture says that by the end of the tribulation period, after Israel has gone through purging, the remnant turns to Christ for Mm. the first time, and they cry out to Jesus. And that's when the second coming happens. Mm -hmm. You know, they're Mm -hmm. about to be attacked and annihilated by the forces of the Antichrist. They cry out to their newfound Savior and Redeemer and Messiah, Jesus Christ, and Christ comes and rescues them. And so that's really the ultimate purpose of the tribulation. You know, God knows that trial and tribulation does have a positive benefit in some ways. Yes. And I think we always have to remember that his desire is that all would come to know him, that all would spend eternity with him. And he'll do whatever he needs to do uh, to make to see that that happens, won't he? He will. And uh, not only that, but uh, a lot of people ignore the fact or at least tend to ignore the fact that during the tribulation period, there will be countless conversions to Jesus Christ. 
God is going to have 144,000 Jewish witnesses. They're going to be like Jewish Billy Grahams going all over the mm-hmm. world, yes, preaching the gospel. And that's why in Revelation 7, we're told that there's going to be a crowd, a great crowd of believers, people who have t- turned to the Lord during the tribulation period. And you've also got those two mighty prophets of Revelation 11 who have the same powers as Elijah and Moses, doing tremendous miracles for God. And uh, who knows, Carmen, maybe some of your old tapes from your podcast will be lying around and people will listen to those and become believers too. Mm. And so you never know what's going to lead a person to become a believer, but there's going to be many, many conversions. Oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, I think uh, sometimes we, we, well, we read the scripture that, you know, there's a, a restraint on earth right now that keeps all of the evil ha- from happening. And, and I w- I, I've always thought, and I'd love for you to correct me if I'm wrong, that when Christians are taking out, taken out, obviously we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is gone because there, if there are conversions, that means the Holy Spirit is visiting. Uh, but, but is that restraint the, the, the believers that are here who will then be gone? Well, you're right that the uh, church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and individuals are also the temple of the Holy Spirit, individual Christians. Yes, We yes. see that in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 1 Corinthians 6.19, both very important verses. And Scripture indicates that right now there is a restrainer holding Satan and the Antichrist back, and that is the Holy Spirit operating through the church. Mm-hmm. And at the moment of the rapture, the church is going to be taken off the earth, which also means that the temple of the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. And that really allows for the rapid emergence of uh, just all kinds of things. It allows for the emergence of the false religion of the end times. Yes. It allows for the fast rise of the Antichrist and his world government. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit is still going to be active on the earth because you really can't become a believer without the work of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Mm. And so the Holy Spirit will be enlightening people, and as 144,000 Jewish witnesses witness around the world, the Holy Spirit will be bearing witness to the truth mm. in the hearts of people, yes. and many people will convert. And, you know, there's going to be a great light shining in the darkest period of history. Wow. Well, I know it will be a difficult time for believers. Many will be martyred. Uh, once again, the urgency to to believe in Jesus now. Don't don't think, well, I, I I'll, I'll make it through that seven years. Uh, very very difficult time, according to Scripture. Well, as believers, we know we have a triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But during the tribulation, the world's going to experience full-blown deception and evil of perhaps what we would call an unholy trinity. Could you introduce these characters to our listeners? Well, you're right. There will be an unholy trinity made up of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Now, we know for a fact that the, um, the Antichrist is going to be empowered or energized by Satan. We see that in Second Thessalonians 1.9. And uh, we also know that the false prophet will also be energized by Satan. And you might really consider the Antichrist to be sort of a puppet Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many similarities between Satan's character and that of the Antichrist. Uh, for example, just as Satan sought to be God, just like you see that in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, 
So the Antichrist in Revelation 13 and in 2 Thessalonians 2 is going to claim to be God. Uh, just as Satan persecutes the people of God, so we see in Scripture that the Antichrist will persecute the people of God. Point by point, we can see Satan's character reflected in his puppet, the Antichrist. And then meanwhile, the false prophet will be like the first lieutenant of the Antichrist, and he will seek to try to get the whole world to worship the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And it is an unholy trinity. But uh, despite that fact, despite the fact that Satan and the Antichrist are going to try to set up their own kingdom on earth, it's only going to last a short duration. And the good news is that at the second coming, Christ will come, he will slay the forces of wickedness, and he will set up his own glorious kingdom. And uh, it's like my old friend Walter Martin used to say, I read the last chapter in the book and we win. <laughs> and that is always good news. Yes, wonderful news. You know, there are some. In our, in our next podcast, we're going to talk more about the second coming. But I, I think it's going to be important to sort of end today in, in really talking about the difference in the rapture and the second coming, because some would say there is only one event, that that is one event, not two events, as Scripture, I believe, clearly, clearly states. Could you help us to understand why from Scripture you are convinced uh, that these are two different events? Well, I think they are different events, and it's based upon uh, interpreting Scripture in a very plain, straightforward way. At the rapture, Christians will meet the Lord in the air, and they'll go back to heaven. That's what Jesus said in John 14. But at the second coming, Christ will descend all the way down to the earth, and his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14. The rapture involves Christ coming for his people in the air prior to the tribulation, Whereas at the second coming, it says that Christ comes with his people yes. from heaven to earth. So the fact that Christ comes with his people presumes he has already come for them at the rapture. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, Christ himself gathers believers out of the world at the rapture. But at the second coming, it says that Christ sends out his own angels to gather people who have become believers. And that's in Matthew 24. And I might maybe close by making one more point, and that is, is that there are no prophetic signs at all that are listed as having to take place before the rapture can occur. It is a signless event and could happen any moment, but with the second coming, you've got seven years worth of signs mm, that yes. must take place before it can take, you know, before the second coming can occur. And so clearly they're different events. Yes, absolutely. Well, finally, Dr. Rose, would you uh, talk to those who might be listening today who have not yet trusted Christ uh, regarding the urgency to reconsider their need for a Savior? Well, you know, today it's popular to say that there's many ways to salvation, but it's just not true. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the only way of coming into relationship with the Father. Jesus himself said that I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Peter, one of his followers, said that there is no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved. And the Apostle Paul says that there's one God and one mediator between man and God, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. You can't work your way towards salvation. You can't earn it like all the other religions have to say. Yes. You can only receive the free gift of salvation by believing in Jesus 
who took your place in being punished for your sins. He took the rap. It's, it's like Martin Luther himself said, Lord Jesus, you have taken what is mine, my sin, so that you could give me what is yours, your salvation. Mm. There's been a great exchange, but the way that you receive it is by faith in Jesus Christ. I love that. I, I so pray that our listeners will consider those words and allow the Holy Spirit to, to touch your heart today as you listen. Do you know Jesus? Uh, don't, don't gamble uh, on what the world would tell you uh, that is different from what you've heard today because uh, we would all, should all desire uh, to see Christ face to face, to let, spend eternity with Him, and to avoid the wrath uh, during the tribulation and beyond. So thank you for sharing that. We hope to have you back next week. We want to continue our discussion of end-time prophecies as found in the Bible. There's so much more to talk about. Uh, second coming of Christ, the judgments, the millennial kingdom, or t- eternal state. Uh, really look forward to that discussion, if we can have you back. I look forward to it too, Carmen. Sounds like a good plan. All right. Thank you so much. Well, our guest today has been Dr. Ron Rhodes, and we have been discussing his newest book, Jesus and the End Times, available through your favorite online bookstores. Hopefully, many of your questions about the end times have been addressed today. Be sure to join us next time for part two. Let me encourage you to download the Grace app to give you complete access to Saving Grace podcast, Grace Cafe, event calendars, Bible study guides, and much more. You can get that link and also learn more about Grace School of Theology and Grace Center for Spiritual Development at gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu. So glad you joined us today. Remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. <music>